Welcome, everyone. This is a little awkward because our group is very intimate, but um, because this is being recorded for posterity by ASLH, they've asked us to use the microphone. So we'll just go ahead and do that and otherwise uh, be very informal and very, very comfortable and friendly with one another here at our table. So welcome to the session, Making Room for Shaw. I'm delighted that you came to learn about Shaw, and I'm delighted to help with the program. I'd like to um, just take a moment and let all of our panelists introduce themselves briefly. And uh, we'll, I guess I'll begin that I am a Shaw 2007 graduate and um, at that time was working at Starbury Bank Museum in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and have since moved on to the Peabody Essex Museum in Salem, Massachusetts, where I'm from now. And I'm Kyle McCoy. I'm with the Arizona Historical Society. Um, I'm a 2011 Shaw graduate, so just last year. And um, my claim to fame is on the way to Shaw when I was, had applied and was hoping to move up to the next level. I was the director of education at the time, and I wanted to be a division director of a museum. I applied so I could get all the tools, and then six months after I got accepted, um, I got the job and really knew what I didn't know. And so Shaw was very helpful to me. Um, when I got back, and I was like, okay, now I can do this job. <laughs> My name is Rebecca Slaughter, and I am the director of the Brannigan Cultural Center. I went to SHA in 2009, um, which was a great year because it was the transition between the the um, previous um, person and John, so we got the benefit of having both of them there. Um, I work in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I was an assistant director before I went to SHA, and I am now a full director, so... Um, SHA really helped me in that transition and to know what I, where I needed to go and what I needed to, to get done. And I'm John Durrell. Um, I'm the coordinator of the seminar. Uh, I live in Baltimore except for three weeks a year. Uh, when uh, I live in uh, a, a hotel in uh, Indianapolis. Um, but it's one of the highlights of my year. Um, my background, I've been in the field for uh, many years, uh, more than uh, uh, I can count sometimes. I actually started in 1978, and actually I never went to the seminar. I, um, when it was my time, I had little children and decided that I didn't want to make uh, that kind of an uh, investment and, and be away from my family for that long. And then it just kind of slipped away. Um, it's always one of the challenges, and I think we'll talk about that to some, um, here. Um, but it's a great program, and uh, I've had the privilege of uh, getting to know a lot of young leaders, uh, and that's one of the real joys of my work right now. So um, where I wanted to begin was actually with John. I think um, I'm not sure where everyone first heard about Shaw, SHA, uh, different names. But if you have heard about it and you're curious, this session will be a great time to learn a bit more about what happens in the program, what you will experience, uh, what it would be like to be away that long. But I thought a great way to begin would be to just ask, what is this seminar in historical administration? And John is uh, the ideal person to give us a capsule history and overview of that program. So I'm going to hand the mic back to John. Welcome, Jennifer. <laughs> um, for the... Um, benefit of those people who are going to be listening to this recording years from now uh, when they're doing the history of Shaw. Uh, <laughs> we, um, 
this is a session uh, that we had intended to be up at the front as a panel with a, uh, uh, 150 people in the audience. We have five, uh, and uh, which is no reflection on the quality of the uh, panel or the uh, what we were going to be talking about. Um, but anyway, just, we decided to make it very intimate. Let me just say that um, I know that when you're at sessions and you kind of feel trapped maybe, if, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. So there's no fault here. If you say thanks anyway, that's fine. But we'll do our best to keep you here. Um, so the Seminar for Historical Administration, or more precisely as we have uh, renamed it, at least internally, and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a challenge. The seminar's been around for over 50 years, so it's not easy to change the name. Um, so a couple of years ago, we started calling it Developing History Leaders at SHA uh, or at Shaw because it's really about leadership. And um, if you have in your own mind that you'd like a greater role as a leader in your organization or in your community uh, or in the field of uh, public history, then this is the place to be. Um, this will give you the leg up and help you chart your career. And we're looking for leaders um, of all sorts, at every level in the organization, every discipline, curators, archivists, educators, marketing uh, specialists, development officers, anybody who's uh, committed to bringing history to the public in one way or another. Um, as I said, the seminar has been around for 50 years. It started in the late 50s, 1950s. Um, at, at that time, there was kind of a real growth in the number of history organizations that were serving the public. A lot of historic sites came into existence at that time, small historical societies. And there was a need for professionalization. So the seminar initially, um, and that's why it's, why it's called a seminar, it was for graduate students in history to get them to think about, instead of going on to a university position, to actually um, uh, work at a historic site or museum. And then each decade since then, the, the seminar has changed its focus somewhat over the years, the, um, especially as museum studies programs have grown up. Uh, there are other ways that you can get some fundamental professional training and education in order to, to um, get into the field and, and grow. So the seminar now is much more of a mid-career. Um, if, if you've got leadership talent and leadership aspirations, this is you, you can further your, um, your uh, growth by coming to the seminar. It's sponsored by um, some very important organizations, so the funding in addition to the funding that your institution would pay towards um, your experience, um, the American Association uh, of Museums—sorry, oh, the American Alliance of Museums, the Alliance, the American Association for State and Local History, the National Trust for Historic Preservation, the National Museum of African American History and Culture, part of the Smithsonian, um, Colonial Williamsburg, and. Um, in the Indiana Historical Society. And these organizations make this investment in future leaders for the, for the field, 
So they see their obligation as making sure that the field is, is growing. Um, and it's, it's substantial. I think our, our uh, a little more than $100,000 a year to serve generally 18 uh, students, 18 young professionals. Um, that's a lot of money when you've got tight budgets. And, but it's so different from a webinar or a workshop or going to a conference. It's so much deeper that uh, they view this as uh, an important investment to make. So that's kind of an overview of where we are and what we're trying to do. Um, and again, if you think of this as kind of the, the where you want to go in your career, in your work, then give it serious thought. So um, to follow up on that, we thought it would be great for each of our panelists to talk a little bit about um, how Shaw helped them to develop as a history leader. So I'll just pass the mic down, and each person can talk a little bit about um, when you attended and what prompted you to go, maybe a little um, further insight into where you were in your career, and uh, a bit about what you got out of it, just the top line. Okay, I'm probably the only one that came from a completely different background in my whole shot class. There was about 15 of us. Everybody else had been in the museum industry for quite a bit, and um, I had moved around so much in my life. I, had, I was a Clydesdale handler at one time for Anheuser-Busch. I was a realtor. I was a flight attendant. I was a USO office manager in Germany. Um, I was, I had all of these jobs that kept coming up and I would take advantage of them when they happened, but I hadn't gone to school. I hadn't uh, gotten a college degree and I didn't get my bachelor's degree till I was 40 and I didn't get my master's degree until I was 44. And when I was 40, I got hired as an intern at the Arizona Historical Society and I never left. I fell in love with uh, museum education that's where I first was, and um, in 10 years, I went from a college intern to a curatorial aide to a curatorial assistant to a curator to the department head of education and then the division director of a statewide education division um, that had never been done within our organization before. And so my, edu my um, executive director really took a chance on me um, we didn't know what this was going to look like. It had never been done in the state of Arizona before. And so she trusted me because of my leadership abilities at the time to just go forward with it. And it turned out, thank goodness, to be very successful. Um, but I also knew that I wanted to go farther than just that. I did want to become a museum director. I wanted... I'm kind of a control freak. My, my dad used to tell me that all the time when I was growing up. You know, you always got to be the boss, you know. You can't just join a club. You have to be the president, you know. I mean, that was very apparent from an early age, and I enjoy it. I'm a very good problem solver. I like going into situations where there's a mess, and I like cleaning it up. And so, um, not that my institution was in a mess, but, you know, I could see that we weren't keeping up with the modern times. We weren't making transitions fast enough. And so um, I wanted to take over the division in Phoenix, which is our largest museum out of eight museums statewide. 
And um, so I convinced my executive director to send me to Shah so I could get the tools in order to make this move. And like I briefly touched on before, I was promoted shortly after the exception of the application to the Shah class. And then I had six months in the job before I actually had to leave and go to the class. Um, it was very scary to me because I was brand new in the um, position. The staff hadn't gotten used to me yet, so they were a little freaked out that I was going to be leaving now for three weeks. Um, but I knew exactly what I needed to learn, and I knew that Shaw, after belonging to ASLH for so long, I knew Shaw was the place that I needed to be in order to get the tools. And I was kind of thankful that it happened that way because had I gone before I got the job, I really didn't really understand what I didn't know about it. But once I was in the position, it was very apparent what I needed to learn, and that was fundraising and board interaction because I was horrible at both of those things. I could raise money for an education program, um, but to raise money for a generic help support the museum thing was a totally different ballgame. I took over as director under not very good circumstances. We had somebody get fired on a Friday, and I took over on Monday. So it was a very adversarial kind of a uh, situation to begin with, and I was equipped for that part. It was the now where do you go from here part. So when I got to Shaw, I made sure that I was taking advantage of everybody who was presenting. When they said, well, I'm going to go out for dinner later, I was right there sitting next to them going, and how did you solve your problem at this museum? And I just took down all these mental notes, and I was so equipped to go back to Phoenix. I had so much more confidence than I had. I knew exactly what I needed to do. And the best part about it was after you leave the class, I, it, it didn't just end there. I was able to pick up the phone and call these people that I would have never called before Shaw. I would have been like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm not calling John Durrell, you know. I mean, he might help, but he doesn't really know me that well. And after this, you develop such a good relationship, and these people, whether they like it or not, become your mentors. You know, you just got to keep being persistent with them. And so I was able to say, okay, I'm supposed to be handling a situation like this, but it's not really fitting my personality. That's not really what I want to do. And I can tap into all these other people and say, well, how did you solve it? How did you solve it? How did you solve it? And then I take the best of that, what's going to work for me. And it's been amazing. Um, in the first year on the job, I raised $465,000 uh, from some support groups that had never turned over a dollar in the previous eight years. Um, I was able to reorganize an 80,000-square-foot building. So uh, we opened up the library and archives after a four-year closing. Um, we then extended the archive collection by uh, 1,200 linear feet and 2,000 square feet. And so the staff, who was a little afraid of me at first, understood. They saw the movement forward. And honestly, I would have never had the guts to do that. It, well, I think I would have eventually got there, but going to Shaw, investing three weeks, and being able to come back and immediately put these things into action was priceless. It's a hard act to follow. Um, again, my name is Rebecca. Um, I work in the Las Cruces Museum System, which is a city museum um, system made up of four museums. And um, in 2009, when I was 
given the opportunity to apply and then to go to Shaw, I um, was really lucky because my institution and the director of my institutions really believes in Shaw. He went himself and he has sent five staff members in six years and we're hoping to send another one next year. Um, so to have that institutional support was really actually very important. I had never imagined going to Shaw that quickly after graduate school. I graduated in 2005 from CGP, the Cooperstown Graduate Program, and uh, and I had known about Shaw and wanted to go um, since I started in the museum world in the year 2000, um, but I figured it would be later in my career. But having the opportunity, I jumped on it and I went. And shortly after I came back, I was um, promoted from an assistant director to a full director of a very small museum. And then very quickly after that, I was given the opportunity or the order to move to a different organization. <laughs> um, and I took that challenge, um, I think, with a lot more enthusiasm than I might have earlier. Um, I went into an institution knowing the steps to change things the way they should have been changed, but doing it in a manner that wouldn't get me in a lot of trouble. Um, when I um, was given my new position, there were things in the paper, how dare you do this, she's a horrible person, um, you're making a horrible mistake. There were unsigned letters to my boss about this was just ridiculous. But I had the confidence because of Shaw to just move forward to do things the way they should be done, to back them all up with this is the way museums do things very calmly. And two years later, people like me, and, and you know, they're like, oh, she's wonderful. And I'm just like, I didn't do anything different in those two years. But, um, but that's the great thing, um, as Kyle said, is you know, we have a support system after going to Shaw that we can just pick up the phone, we can write an email, and we have a great support group to ask some random question or to get some frustration out or to even share a triumph. It's not just about it's about the good stuff as well. Um, and and it also, for me, reinvigorated my love of history and knowing that there are other people out there as passionate about history as I am. So I was so excited to go. And when I came back, I was just like you know, raring to change the world. And when you get back, that's not exactly how it works out. But but you keep that enthusiasm going. And uh, and you find the ways to change um, your world and the world around you. It really does give you some great tools. And, and I'll just share a little bit and point up a couple things that might be a little different just to show the range of, of uh, ways that Shaw can work for individuals. I am an educator by training and came up through classroom teaching and then transitioned into museum education um, about eight years before I went to Shaw in 2007. So um, I really was well-versed in that specialty area, and I felt very at home in museum education and knew a lot about that field, but also had the aspiration um, to really continue to push museums more into the realm of public service and public accountability and and being there beyond the level of just what programs could deliver. So I knew I was interested in leadership. Um, and my boss at the time, um, who was uh, the director of Strawberry Bank Museum, where I worked, had been to Shaw in, in the early, early days, and he has always been a proponent, so that mentorship is often a big part of it, as you heard from Rebecca as well. Um, 
that, you know, it's wonderful to have someone encourage you to go and, and support you in going and let you know just what you would get out of it. So he advocated that I attend. And what I really got out of it was, even though I, I remain in education today, I am uh, at a higher administrative level, but not yet in the director level, what I needed that I couldn't get on the job was a sense of scope across the field that in addition to the depth that I had in my own specialty, it was so valuable to hear from people in development and finance and fundraising um, in the world of collections and curation of visitor studies and evaluation and uh, simply concepts of leadership so that you can understand, well, I may not practice all this yet in my job, but it will be a long time before I have the opportunity to do all of those things. But this is where I can get a foundation in each of these areas and understand what needs to be in the toolkit of a leader so that when I am there, um, you know, you sort of know what basis to cover. So um, that's another way it can work. Uh, John, I thought it would be good to hear from you a bit about, you know, what goes into the program. We have some syllabus copies around that I hope you can all leave through and um, take a look at the variety and range of sessions. But I thought it would be really great for you to give a little overview of the program, the faculty, and what will happen to people as they sit in that room in Indiana. So let me, um, rather than going into the details of the uh, <coughs> of the curriculum here, because you can, you can look at it. Let me just kind of give you a philosophy about it. And um, first of all, I'll start with the, um, the changes that the, the field is going through, impacted by lots of external changes, such as what's going on out there that's affecting us. So decline in government support, at, certainly at the federal level, but uh, states, um, and, and, you know, since 2008, lots of historical society, state historical society, cutting 40% of their staff, things like that. So tight money, not enough money. That's clearly, um, in some ways, it's always with us, but uh, in recent years, it's been acute. What else is changing the way we do things? Technology. Technology. Um, huge changes there uh, that uh, impact our audiences and our communities and hence impacts us. Other things? Right, right. The demographic changes, uh, aging of uh, populations. Um, that's a good segue into what actually happens because one of the, one of the groups that uh, presents is REACH Advisors. How many of you know of REACH Advisors? Some of you, they do um, incredible research. We're very fortunate uh, that, in fact, Susie Wilkening is here presenting, I guess. So they, um, it's, a, it's a firm that does lots of um, market research and demographic research in, in corporate America. But they also have an affection for uh, museums, so they do a portion of their work uh, with, with uh, museums, all sorts of museums. They've done a lot of uh, interviews and surveys and have helped us to start to understand our uh, our audiences and what their ex anticipations are, what their expectations are, what, uh, how they're changing. And so you get to spend a half day uh, with them uh, talking about their latest research and what implications that may have for your institution and for the field as a whole. Um, the seminar provides this 
really rare experience that combines depth with breadth. Depth comes from the fact that you spend three weeks uh, in conversation with your um, colleagues about issues and um, about um, different dimensions of the institution. You know, you might have uh, uh, 18 people and none of them are in development, and yet they sit around and talk about the challenges of raising money because the breath comes from the faculty. So every day you get a new topic with uh, one or two new faculty members who have come in for that day to engage you in um, discussion about a particular era, a field. So development, um, community engagement, um, leadership, um, your role as a leader, wherever you are in the institution, organizational change, reinventing um, museums, evaluation, um, um, team building. So there's lots of, lots of relevant stuff. We don't cover everything because we can't fit it all in. You know, we don't have something on marketing this year because we got other things. And so each year it changes a little bit depending on what the top of mind um, um, issues are, it's a combination of kind of fundamentals as well as new thinking. And more, most importantly, it's to get you into new thinking. So you'd be challenged. Things you thought were one way aren't necessarily that way. Or it might be that way, but it might not be that way. You know, we have to get the conversation going. Um, but it's all designed to position you to, uh, what we need is, and we're going through this process in our field of kind of reinventing who we are, how we operate, using new technologies, serving new audiences, um, more um, strategies for generating revenue, because some of the old assumptions aren't working anymore. And what we need is new people to step forward as leaders to help us redefine. I, I sometimes, and I'll, I'll end with this, um, I'm of the generation, I came into the field in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, and we were gung-ho. And we created a fantastic public history field. We're the ones who got you in the trouble you're in now. <laughs> <laughs> it worked for about 20 years. Things have to change. And so what we thought was the right way to do this and how to, how to build our organizations in some ways um, went on a little bit too long, and now we're rethinking all of that. But uh, we look to you to help build the next generation of this field of public history. So um, that is a very stirring uh stirring recommendation. I wanted to make sure that we cover some of the bases that we'd hoped to today, and we want to talk about some of the practicalities of applying to Shaw and attending as well. So I think what we'll do, even though we could go on and on and on about all the great sessions and discussions that we have had, um, is talk a little bit about how we have each um, gone through the process of making the plan to apply and uh, to attend and to prepare. Um, there are a lot of considerations like when is the best timing in your career and in your particular job that you're holding at the moment um, that can be important. And for some, as we heard with Kyle, the things you learn in Shaw might be immediately relevant and immediately applicable, but others might use Shaw as a way to prepare for um, leadership that's still a few years in the offing, all of which is possible. So 
what time, um, when is a good time to begin thinking about Shaw? I'll ask that of John to start. And then perhaps Rebecca and Kyle, you can each talk about when, you know, um, how, how that has influenced the trajectory of your career and was the timing right and, and any re reflections you might have on that. <laughs> when to start thinking about applying. We have a requirement that you are in the field in an employment for three years at least. Um, now you might be thinking about it before then, but you, you know you, um, that is a, um, a threshold. It doesn't seem like very long, and often people um, uh, take much longer to it uh, to do so. Um, and in every class, we always have you know a median age of something in the 30s, but there's always a, a few in their 50s or 60s even. Um, you're never uh, too late to grow as a leader and um, and make a, a real contribution to your institution and to the field. So um, age is not a, a limiting factor. The um, But generally it's about, it's up to you as, as you think about your career and your commitment to this. If you are committed to, to history and to bringing history to the public and using your talent and your expertise to do that, after you've had a little bit of experience, then you start thinking about, okay, where am I going to go? And you can almost view this as an, a, an accelerator, um, that if you have some sense that you want to make a contribution to this field, this will give you a better sense of where you might do that, and then, as they say, um, also give you some tools and network and so forth to help you do that. Um, so I think that's – did any of you apply after – without three years' experience? <laughs> um, as I said earlier, I had not anticipated going to Shaw when I went. It wasn't that I didn't want to go. It's just that I had been out of grad school such a short amount of time. But I have to say that um, part of what fed into that was that I didn't expect to be in a management position as quickly as I was after graduate school. My life took a very drastic change when I moved to Las Cruces, um, just in the fact that I went from being a curatorial um, employee to being an assistant director of two museums, and it was just because I wanted to leave my job. So things work out well <laughs> eventually. Um, but I would say that I was prepared to go to Shaw. I, I, I had my three years plus a bunch um, before I went, and... The first day of class, I think um, Denny asked how many of us wanted to be directors, and I didn't raise my hand. <laughs> and I was sitting right next to him, and I don't think he was very happy with me. But I think after those three weeks, I felt so much more prepared um, that at the end of the three weeks, I raised my hand when he asked the question again. And so that was part of you know my progress there. And it wasn't um, it wasn't just the interactions that I had with the the faculty, but also my fellow classmates, we never stopped talking to each other. In fact, um, we uh, had a quarter jar where we, we put a quarter in the jar every time we talked about work outside of class, and we paid for an entire party that way because we never <laughs> shut up. But it was such a great experience to to realize and to remember why we all do what we do. And, um, and, and it helped me go back to be a better 
a better person just in general. But um, when I did become a full director, I think it really did let me reflect on that. And one of the easiest things for me to do when I get frustrated at work is to turn around and see my big Shaw binders behind me because they're big. And I don't even necessarily have to open them. I do a lot. But just to know that, to just visualize that they're all there for me is a great um, a part of realizing that, you know, we can we can move on and we can do things and I can do things. And so that's sort of... Um, those came a little quicker in my career than I had planned. I think it came at the appropriate spot. I just didn't realize it at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Well, um, like I said, I had a very strong inner compass when I was going after Shaw. And so I think before I talk a little bit about that, I'd kind of like to hear where your concerns are. Because if you're here, you're already thinking about it. But there are some things that are scaring you or are worrying you. And I was just hoping you guys could throw some of those out. Or maybe not. Well, I know, you know, it's a big three-week commitment. And I know that's the first thing. Everybody says, oh, my God, I can't leave my job for that long. Every, you know, But you can. Um, and I use my analogy when I moved to Germany from Virginia. I um, adapted really quickly to the German way of life. And it's probably because I knew I had to. Um, when I came back to the United States, I moved to Tucson, and I had never set foot in Tucson before. It was one of those, where do I want to go, somewhere where no snow, sunny, hot, you know, so I went to Tucson, and it took me a really long time. It probably took me a year to adapt back to the life here in the States. Things had changed. Starbucks had popped up on every corner. That wasn't there when I left. Um, I didn't know friends. I had no idea what that TV show was. Uh, So I was like this pariah, you know, when I came back. And so Shah was very similar to that for me. I adapted very quickly to the leaving work behind, to not worrying about what was going on back there. But it took me longer to adapt once I was back and out of that cocoon. I really, it was kind of like a reverse thing for me. Um, But after the first day, I checked my emails and stuff the very first day. And after that, I was like, there's too much to learn here for me to be sidetracked by worrying about what's going on. And the building did not burn down while I was gone. The staff did not kill each other while I was gone. And uh, we were all better for it by the time I came back. But I do have to admit, at the beginning, it was a little scary. It was a little scary to think about the three weeks. But were those, are those any of your concerns? Yeah. Okay, so the three concerns, coming up with the money, coming up with the time, and wondering if I'm going to get accepted from the application. Um, yeah, the, the money is always going to be an issue with everybody. And um, it's almost up to you to um, convince those that should pay for you that it is worth their investment. I was very fortunate. My, I was the only second one in my whole institution to go to Shaw, and the last one had gone in the 80s. So it's not like my institution is supporting this project all the time, you know, um, but I did make it very clear where I wanted to go, that I wanted to stay within the institution, that I needed to get this training one way or the other, you know, and kind of did that. Okay, John. Just comment on that piece of it. Um, The... Last year, we had 35 applications for 18 slots, 
we ended up taking 21. We're going to be crowded around the table this year because we had a lot of good applications. We've been really marketing the program with executive directors, encouraging them to invest uh, in their um, their stars and invest in their promising leaders, both for the benefit of the institution and for the benefit of the field. So we have some language. I mean, if you if you are wondering what kind of case can I make uh, with my boss, um, we can provide you with some ways in which you can uh, make the argument. And it is about investing in you uh, so that you'll come back. And you've heard stories like this, where you come back feeling so much more confident uh, and capable and with a, uh, a system of peer support and the latest thinking about the field so that you can start to apply that um, to, the, um, uh, to the institution. Um, the, um, so there's that. We also require in the application that, uh, and this is relatively new, that you actually have the support of your boss for coming. So it's got to be your bosses, and not just, uh, uh, I think it might have to be the executive director, I think, that has to, has to sign off. So um, this is not hypothetical. You actually have to have their support. The, um, but that's important. It also uh, is kind of um, a real sign of, to us, as we review applications, of your leadership potential in that you've been able to make this argument successfully. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, it, it leads in um, the questions, how do you find the money, um, and how do you find the time, and what was the third one? Will I be accepted? So it leads into some discussion of making an application and what, um, what to think about as you're putting that application together. Um, so I will pass the mic down the line and we'll talk more about that. I think um, in terms of the money also to think flexibly about the arrangements you can make and support from the, your executive director, your immediate supervisor is a key part of that. But there's also, um, you know, I made, it, I made sort of a deal where our tuition, uh, the tuition for myself was covered, but I contributed to my sustenance while in Indianapolis. And, you know, there can be some ways of uh, arranging things that make it more feasible, more possible for your organization. But I really do think that making the case and securing the funding is, is a good project in itself. Um, as far as making the application, I'll... Uh, I'll just share um, that there is a, a website for developing history leaders at Shaw. I hope you have been to it, but if not, please look it up after our session. And the full application is on the website, so you can begin to take a look at what's required. John, I'm sure, will say more about that. Um, but I'd like to pass it down and, and hear uh, what you think went into making a successful application for um, you, Kyle, and you, Rebecca. And then, John, any final thoughts to wrap up? I know um, one of the things that we had talked about in our Shaw class was the application. You know, well, what did you write? What did you write? And we actually started comparing the essays. And once we started comparing them, we realized how drastically different they were. Um, there was a, a few in the class that said, I can't even believe I got accepted this round after what I wrote. I looked at mine again and said, it sounded much more intelligent the first time than when I went back and looked at it again. Um, but the one thing that we all had in common was that the essays that you write or the personal, I forgot what you're calling them, John, but um, the, the essays that you have to write, it was all about 
what I need to learn and what I can also bring to the table. Um, I think that was one thing that stood out from probably the people that are not getting, except it's not about your institution. It's not about what you can do to make your institution better. That's kind of a byproduct of what the purpose is. So you actually, in my opinion, need to keep the application focused on you, what you can do for the people, and then what you can bring to the table, and what you can learn, and what you really need to learn. And I think as a leader, it's very important to be in touch with what you need to learn in order to do the job. I know there's a myth out there that I used to believe in, too, that I'm not ready for this position yet because I don't know everything. Amy, you're looking like you just agreed with me. <laughs> and, and the biggest fallacy that you'll learn is that nobody is ready Nobody knows everything, and that's why you have to build this kind of support group so you, when you get into those OMG moments, I can pick up the phone and call John. I have called John in the past, you know. I've called almost all of the people that have presented at one time. So um, as long as you can get over that hump, of, and it's your own, you're your own worst enemy when it comes to this stuff. Like I said, I was mine also. Um, but if, as long as you can keep it focused on you, be very direct, be very to the point, and if things change later, that's okay, you know. Rebecca. I have to say I agree with just about everything you said, but um, yeah, I do think it's very important to talk about yourself and your journey um, of where you got to the point where you write that application, and definitely, as Kyle said, what you can bring to the table and what you're hoping to take away. Um, your institution is important. Mine's very complicated to explain, and after a while I just give up. But it, it really is that personal journey because they want people to be different. You you have better conversations if you come at things from completely different points of view, but you all have the same common ground of uh, of working in a history organization um, in some aspects. So... So remember, it's, it's, you know, like personal statements to college, you know, but, but a little more directed towards a one specific field, so. So this is the way it really works. <laughs> um, let me talk about the process, and then I'll give you my reflections on what makes a good uh, application. And, and clearly the um, personal statement or essay, whatever it's called, is the most important thing. Um, although the other pieces, uh, strong letters of support, um, and um, and both for the letters of support and for your personal statement, things have to be concrete. You, they can't be lofty, and we're wondering who you are or where you're going or what do you do. Um, it, it, not that it's got to be um, you know a job description. You don't want that either. But it's got to be some specific stuff, so we have a uh, we can hang it, hang something onto it. It's concrete. We know this person. We have a clue that this person does things, has talent, uh, and um, is aspiring to do more. So it's about uh, some keep, some people write essays that are kind of like journeys. I've done this, and now I'm at this stage, and this is why I want. The seminar now because it's going to help me move forward. Um, things that it, within the concrete, if you can infuse it with 
your beliefs and values, why you think our work is important, why it's important to you, why it's important to our communities, um, that's very helpful. Because if we start to understand that you're, we want to see people who go to Shaw not just so that they can do their current job better. It's, this, is not his, this is not history organization 101 where we're just going to teach you how to catalog and how to uh, 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 keep membership records. I mean, this, we're assuming you know a lot of that stuff if you need to. Uh, this is at a higher level, um, and we want to make sure that you see yourself at that higher level, even though you may not be there yet. But it's you know a desire to lead. It's not just a desire to work. Um, and um, so that, another thing that I look for. I'm not sure if anybody else looks at this, but I I, I look for any examples you have in your resume or in the essay of what you've done as a leader outside of our field. So, you know, Kyle's comment about any time she joined an organization, she had to be president. Um, you don't have to do that, but you have to. There has to be some indication. It, yeah, no. Yeah, that was a problem, by the way. Um, the, uh, um, the, um, some indication that you, you know, you have a commitment to community or to the field. I mean, some people talk about, you know, they serve on ASLH committee or something like that. So that we start to see them, again, as more than just a worker at, with a job at a place. So any of those kinds of things. What we do is the application comes in. Bob Beatty uh, kind of coordinates it all. They're all sent to him. Um, compiles them all into a big PDF file, which is now shared with the partners. I mentioned you know, ASL, ASLH, AAM, National Trust. Representatives from each of those get it, and everybody reads it on our own. And then we come in, and we've got a scoring sheet, so that, uh, and we just kind of compile the score so that people who bubble up to the top, where everybody says this is a great candidate, we don't even bother to discuss very much. And people who are way down, um, depending on how many applications we've had, you know, we kind of as a, as a floor. If you haven't risen above that, well, probably. Uh, so we don't discuss those very much. And the, but it's the ones in between, where we have differences of agreement about, or differences of opinion about whether they would be good candidates or not. And we go into a lot of time talking about that and trading off and and so forth until we come up. This year, again, we had. An, uh, unusually large number this for this 2012 class and so we had to basically not accept some people that we might otherwise have accepted had there not been so much competition I don't know whether this amount of competition is going to remain at this level or not um, but um, you know certainly give as much thought as you can to this get some help too let other people read it so it does come across if you got typos, if if you haven't paid attention, um, it comes across very quickly, and you go to the bottom of the list pretty quickly. You got to take this seriously. Oh yeah, and and 
And if at first you don't succeed, you know, because you weren't in the pool or you were in the pool one year but didn't get into Shaw does not mean you should not apply again because every year the complexion of the class is different. The balance of talent and individual personality is different. So there, that doesn't mean there won't be an opening for you in the future. So I think we're going to um, do some questions. And what I'd like to do, I just want to ask each of our panelists to think of two last things to share, two highlights. One would be highlights from within the class sessions that you've taken away and, and remembered, and another highlight just from the experience outside of class in Indianapolis with, with groups, et cetera. So while you think about those two highlights, um, everyone else, please think about what questions remain. And we'll just have an informal discussion where we can really be sure that we're answering what's on your mind. So let's do the highlights reel. Okay. <laughs> I think um, the highlight of the class and getting to know all of the professionals on a much more personal level was my highlight because, um, and I have said this to many people before, I'm kind of like the black sheep of the organization that I belong to. I always come on with newer ideas that my conservative group is not quite ready to pursue, and it's slow down, Kyle. We're not ready for that yet. And sometimes they eventually come around, but it was really nice, validating thing for me to go and hear all of the national conversation and know that I was not the one from Mars, <laughs> that some people from my institution really are the ones from Mars. You know, So that was very validating to me. That was probably the biggest highlight of the class. And as far as just being and working in Indianapolis, um, it was so wonderful to go to all of the other museums, whether it's a children's museum, an art museum, because you're studying in all of these museums also. And probably the, the best thing that I figured out was I made it a point at every museum event that we went to to talk to the members of that museum, not the staff. I, I, I was getting enough of that but going around to talk to the members and saying, why did you choose to become a member of this museum? And it actually helped me with board development when I got back to Arizona, asking people, why this? Why this? Rebecca. Uh, from class, I think the thing that impacted my life the most is was the board development um, section, which seems ironic because I, don't have a, I have no interaction with a board. I work for a city, and the board is actually the city council. Um, but what we discussed in that class and when I brought that up was, you know, one of the points was be a part of your community. And the second one was, well, get experience however you can. So I went back home and I joined the board of Habitat for Humanity. And then I somehow got roped into the board of the Historical Society and now I'm on the symphony board. Um, <laughs> but I, I did that, one, because I am serving my community in, in things I'm very passionate about. But if I move on, I have to have the skills to work with a board. And since I can't do it from my job, I can do it personally and at least know how boards work in various different stages of working um, from the other side. So that has actually really um, um, changed my life in some good ways and some bad ways. But, um, but it's something I took away from class. And I think the thing outside of Indianapolis, in, in Indianapolis that I took out was... Um, a friend of mine and I went to the Indianapolis uh, Public Library, and we had such a great time in the children's department that we drug half our class and John back because the person who designed the children's um, section of that library was a museum exhibit designer, and it was completely different from the rest of 
the library, which was very traditional and quiet, and they had walls that the kids could write on, and they had little pods that kids could twirl around in, and and it was very much a exploratorial, fun, exciting place. And one of the things that we learned when we were there was that um, the librarians who worked in that section were all the older librarians because the young people didn't want this crazy technology. And um, But it was just a really interesting sort of not expected. It's, you didn't expect that going into a library. That, that There was this great, fun place to learn. And we sat around and tried to figure out how we could use that concept in our museums. And I'm not sure any of us went back and did it. But we had a great conversation. Um, and we dragged some people into it that may not have really wanted to be there. But um, but the, that's the great thing about Indianapolis is you can go around and you can find some really interesting different ways to think about things in a city anywhere in the United States. So, You want highlights from me? <clears throat> it's, I, it's hard for me to think about kind of internal um, highlights. I spend so much time thinking about the curriculum and figuring out who should be on when and, and when can you get them and, and that sort of thing. Um, so I, I can't pick out any one thing. I, think, I, I would say, though, that the out-of-class uh, time is an interesting time. Um, we try to limit, we didn't always do this well, but we try to limit the uh, amount of reading you have to do for the next day so that you have enough downtime to hang out and make friends uh, and uh, get to know people. And, and you know, we, we, we use this term, you come away with a network, but you actually come away with friends uh, who, um, who share your interest in the field, and um, um, some of them become lifelong friends. Um, the, um, the other thing that I discovered is uh, the need to pace yourself. Um, through these three weeks so that um, you're not exhausted. Um, you do get uh, Saturday afternoon and Sunday off. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and we do have some evening sessions as well. So, um, um, But it's, it's, we try to vary the pace even with the, with the uh, curriculum with uh, field trips and things like that. Um, but let's hear from you. What do you get some questions for us or... Or are you ready just to sign on? Okay, so, so the question is, you know, if you don't see the path in your own institution toward moving up, is Shaw useful? Um, and what would you do? Yeah, um, I have that same thing. Um, my goal, if John, you'll remember, was to become the first person in this 140-year-old institution to be hired as a um, 
college intern and become executive director. And so when I came back, my boss is the executive director. And we have been working with each other for 10 years now. We have a very good relationship, and it's a very honest, more collegial relationship than boss and, and um, peon. And so um, I came back telling her, when are you going to retire? And um, she said, probably in about five years. And I said, I don't think I can hang on that long, to be very honest with you. I'm ready, I think, within the next year to make a move. And we've had a very open conversation about this. And she is scared to death because she knows once my little mind gets locked on something, it's probably going to happen. And um, she has been very helpful. We have already started planning uh, the succession in case I do move. And um, it's, it's, you, you got to be adults about it, you know. I'm either going to replace you or I have to go replace somebody else. What do you want, you know, is kind of it. But if you have a good relationship and a very adult, you know, relationship, you can do that. Rebecca. And I would also say um, from being on the – I'm on the SHA alumni committee, and we talk about these kind of things a lot – if you really are in a place where you don't want to leave or for some circumstance you can't, you can't, SHA can still prepare you to be a leader in the field from your position. You don't necessarily have to, you know, bump off your boss and take her job. <laughs> but, I mean, you can be a leader in our field, and in these, in, in SHA will help you do that if that's where you want to go without disrupting your entire life if that's not what you want to do. But if you want to and take over the world, um, that's perfectly okay too. But a lot of eggs in one basket for the possibility of by some remote chance them getting to the point where they realize they need the professional director and then get the job. Well, we, we all know your boss and um, I think maybe what you need to do is um, uh, acquire that other museum yeah. and then she can um, one of the things that if you have a boss who's a little resistant to that um, maybe if you talk to them about this great opportunity they have to delegate more to free them up so that they can attend to some of the things that they don't feel like they have time to because, you know, most often an executive director, um, if they've come up through the ranks, have a, has a certain comfort with dealing with the program and the stuff and less comfort dealing with the board and with fundraising. And um, this can actually uh, help the director say, well, yeah, excuse I've got nobody to delegate to. I've got to be doing that, so I can't raise the money. But if you can kind of talk talk in terms of a partnership coming out of this, uh, then um, it could be a win-win. So. I think I have a kind of an opposite. Yeah. <laughs> an opposite thing. I, I started at my institution, and I work. Jenny and I work in the same place. We never see each other, though. <laughs> different divisions, completely different okay. divisions. What, what, what is it? Uh, we both work at the Church History Library. I work in collections, and Jenny works in historic sites. She more than works in historic <laughs> sites. <laughs> um, I, I started as an intern, and, and when I was hired in my new position, my boss started talking to me seriously about leadership, and so it's been, it's been on my mind. And I found this program, and I thought, wow, this is exactly 
what I what I'm looking for. But I I kind of have the opposite. I I'm not looking to take over anyone's job, but I I do. Uh, we have a lot of people who will be retiring in the in the near future, and I I guess I just want to be available, and so I don't want to appear over eager or like I'm trying to push them into something. You know, like they have to make me a leader. But I'm, I'm hoping that I can prepare so that that will just be a natural thing. So how can I kind of make it not seem so pushy, perhaps? I don't know. That one to John. So we talk about um, developing leaders at every level, every function. Leadership is a way of going about doing work. It's not a position. And um, that uh, you, even if you're not supervising anybody, you can you can be a leader. It's the way in which you relate to other people. You can be um, you can be an intern and be a motivator. To, you can inspire other people. Uh, you can uh, help them get better at what they do. You can take on a lot of a lot of the role of being a leader, uh, even if you don't have authority or position. So I. You know, I, I think for you, it's, it sounds like it's just something in you anyway um, to get better and to um, um, play that role regardless of whatever. And, and certainly, um, you know, nobody charts their career. So, you know, if you, if you wrote us an essay and saying, well, when I leave Shaw, I'm going to spend three years as deputy director, then I'm going to become director over here. And so, well, that's silly. Um, but to build your uh, capacity and put yourself, make yourself available for opportunity is what we're, I mean, that's just good leadership strategy. You know, uh, b being a leader means being open to opportunity and seeing opportunity when it comes up. That's characteristic of leadership. So um, I don't think that's an, uh, I, you know, I, are you picking up it's an issue for somebody else or is it, uh, you know, these people getting ready to retire kind of <laughs> Right, right. Well, so here's the other thing. Um, every year, uh, a portion of the class leaves the field. And, you know, life is life. You, you know, it's just because you go to this program doesn't mean you're going to be in this field forever. And, um, and that's, that's okay. Um, the, um, and you, you still get a lot out of it. Now, it might be a little frustrating for your director who sent you, and then, you know, you, you six months later, you're off. It's hard enough if they're off leading another history, history organization. It's really hard if they've left the field altogether. Um, so we try to avoid that <laughs> because we're trying to build leaders of our field. But uh, those things, you know, that's part of life. So. Yeah, just, you know, our field is so, I think, um, eager for people at every level and in every job um, to be ready for those things that hopefully you wouldn't let that hold you back. Any other? Yes. Okay. So the question is uh, comparing Shaw and the Museum Management Institute at the Getty. I think that is, is that right? Um, so, John, can you can you make any distinctions or no. won't? <laughs> MLI. Okay. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, although it's uh, is it? <laughs> so I can tell you what the what the differences are from my perspective. Anyway, is that this is about history, um, and you get um, uh, MLI is about management, um, developing history leaders at SHA is about management and history. It's about leading organizations whose mission is to bring history to the public in one way or another and do so in a dramatically changing environment. So you've got to be a manager as well. Um, I think they have, um, you know, where you go and you work on an exercise in case studies and so forth, which is, um, you know, legitimate learning. Um, we've taken a different approach where it's much more engagement with leaders, established leaders who are already working on issues, and we ask them to come with real issues and have you work on them so that um, it's, um, I think it's a deeper but more, more, more pointed towards our field. So it's a, it's a choice. If you think about your, your own situation, I mean, if, if you love managing uh, and and are committed to culture but not necessarily to history and the role of history in our lives, then you know, maybe MLI would be a, a good alternative. Um, but Indianapolis, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and, and I do know if people have done both, you know, so there's room for that. I personally think that discussion of history, you know, it, it was incredibly value, valuable to think about the cultural issues and sensitivities and tensions around the narrative we tell ourselves in this country. And that was something very special that I'm not sure you'd get. Other thoughts, questions in our last couple of minutes? So the question is, institutions come in so many different organizational structures, not all of which are the classic board-driven nonprofit. Uh, does Shaw offer things to people in those situations? Can I step in? Sorry. Um, I, I work in an organization that's part of um, you know, one museum in a group of four. So my situation was very different than some of my colleagues. Um, we had someone from the Freedom Center. We had someone from a college um, we had someone from Canada who knew more about American history than we did. But um, <laughs> but that's that's one of the things that I think is great about SHA is because they bring together so many people. And just because somebody discusses things that maybe you won't um, need in your everyday life, you'll have a better understanding of what other history organizations do. And it gives you um, a platform to have those conversations um, so I think for us, we had those kind of like, we, we don't really understand what you're talking about. And, and we, we really delved into those differences and we made it a part of our conversation in my class. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, you can slice and dice 
our field and we're part of a larger field. We have different governance structures and so forth. And the ability to actually sit around a table with people who are like you, 70%, but got 30% difference, actually helps you to understand your own institution a little bit more. Uh, as, you know, well, we don't have that problem because we, now I know why we don't have that problem, or we have a different problem because they're, you know, that kind of, that kind of dialogue. So there's a breadth. Uh, we try to, um, you know, again, the one thing in common is about delivering history to the public. And there are some that, you know, things like a program evaluation, experience evaluation, very solid tools uh, and measurement and kind of closing the cycle of learning where we learn what we did wrong or we learn what we did well and then we build on that um, and making that a, a discipline in your organization. Well, that, that's not related to governance. Um, but on the other hand, there's some things that you know you you may not have to. One of the things that you can always take away too is in in any organization, leaders in any organization have to um, um, build relationships. You know, that's at the core of it, and um, you get that in any number of topics. Even if you don't have a board, it's useful to know how to build good relationships with wealthy people. Um, that sort of thing. So. Is that our answer? Okay. I just want to add one thing about that. Um, there was really not one section of the curriculum that I didn't learn something from. And um, just because I knew what I needed to focus on didn't mean I didn't focus on the rest of it. I just knew I had to pay special attention during those because I needed that. And uh, one of the things that I learned through the board development was exactly what you were talking about, John the really importance of building relationships. And if you have to maneuver five organizations before you can get an answer, you may not call it a board, <laughs> but you're doing the same work. Uh -huh. So it may just be a start to answering some of your questions, but I hope you've learned a little bit more about Shaw today, uh, developing history leaders at SHA, to call it by its full title. Um, feel free to take one of these copies of the curriculum with you, but that... Um, I would also encourage you to go online and look at the website and all of the resources there, the application. There are testimonials. I'm certainly happy to speak to anyone about it. And as our, our other panelists would welcome an email or um, any type of communication. We're all evangelists for Shaw. We, we all believe in it. And so we're happy to, to kind of tell you why. And I want to invite you also to a reception this evening. It's um, after the last session, so I think it's at 5 check your program schedule, but it's an open reception where alums of Shaw will gather with people who are interested and want to talk or learn more about it. Everyone is welcome, and it's a good place to have an informal conversation with a few other people as well as with us. Great. And please do uh, fill out your green evaluation form, as always, and feel free to chat more with us. Thank you so much for coming and expressing interest. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Oh, and I see Donna at the back of the room. Thank you, Donna, for setting up this session and finding the panelists and, and then doing lots of other stuff during the conference, too.